0: You, 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 you know the the S E A. You the the S E A. a, I be, I be a, a
1: Hello and welcome to episode number 396 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Hello. Hello. Hope everyone out there who celebrates had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the listener. It is our final weekly pod wow. of 2023. And, of course, the Cortez Kennedy edition.
0: There we go. Top three Christmas gifts in no particular order for what it's worth. Number one, Devin Witherspoon throwback jersey. Number 21. 21. Adding to my collection, which now includes Sean Springs. Marcus Trufant, Richard Sherman, and the next generation of those corners, Devin Witherspoon. The jerseys are immaculate. I am so proud putting it on.
1: You mentioned it was a throwback, right? Oh, I did. So you have number 21, number 23, number 24, number 25. There it we sounds go. like you need the Trey Brown to complete the <laughs> set. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Maybe the
0: Julian Love at number 20.
1: Then well, yes, but that, that doesn't give you a straight.
0: Number two. Jean jacket with the fur lining inside, like Zach Bryan, in his press photos, which is a good reminder to go and listen to from last week, the Pelton cast year in music. There were many complaints from Jan about it, specifically, <laughs> who thought it would just be me talking about concerts that I'd been to for the last year. And so actually, if that's what you're looking for. Do not listen. More
1: importantly, concerts that she had been to. Yeah. She, she wanted, wanted review
0: reviews them. of concerts that she had been to by us somehow.
1: <laughs> uh, and that we have talked about sub- subsequently many times offline. Number three,
0: puzzle of a Costco purchased at Costco to uh, remind yourself of how amazing the experience is of being at Costco. So many fine touches on this Costco puzzle, all the way down to the pigeons in the top corners of the puzzles. Because you know sometimes when you're in there, you see birds flying around. It is a warehouse after all.
1: I don't think I've ever noticed that, but it, it makes sense. Uh, but what is this? A keeping it 150 crossover pod?
0: Exactly. This is a little bit more for the keeping it 150 crowd. But Costco, puzzle of Costco. I know that somebody else out there got one. That that was one of the hot items of the year. Tell us on the PeltonCast Discord your favorite Christmas gifts of this year. And the last Christmas gift that we're all waiting for somehow comes on New Year's Day. <laughs> because <laughs> yep. we will be previewing today UW versus Texas. In their second ever appearance in the college football playoff, the highest seeded they have
1: ever been. It is maybe, I mean, like, playing Bama was exciting and all. This has got to be the most I have ever anticipated a UW game.
0: It's starting to feel real.
1: I mean, even, like, the Oregon-Washington games and the Pac-12 championship, like, you only had so long to anticipate those. I guess maybe the 1991 national, the de facto national championship that was the Rose Bowl against Michigan. But
0: honorable mention gift. Those are the top three. Honorable mention gift comes to the city of Seattle from the Baltimore Ravens. That performance by the Ravens defense with their five picks. On Christmas night, I was dancing around. I was hooting and hollering. Oh, my God, was I loving it. Took a little nap right before the game started, so that was even better. But the last pick that they got on Sam Darnold, I was hoping for the five-piece on Brock Purdy. But just absolutely crushing Brock Purdy's MVP odds. It was an amazing thing.
1: A formative experience in my Seahawks fandom was Glenn Foley throwing? I believe seven. five interceptions. I thought it was
0: seven. Seven
1: in the uh, in the preseason game? Yeah, I thought it was seven. <laughs> Could it possibly have been seven? That does, that seems. Are you looking this up right yeah. now? Uh, this would have been what the nineteen ninety eight preseason? I want to say. And I I remember that I was at my friend John Wizzyca's house watching this. We game. all watched it. I was with you. You there. were there. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. That was not formative for me. Your presence. Huh.
0: Is it taking place in the preseason? You might have to Google that one.
1: I think that's a Seattle Times archive there. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll save that one for later on in the podcast. Should we get into it? Because we've got a lot to get to. Seattle sports is not taking the week between Christmas and New Year's off, even if many of the listener is. Uh, so let's start with uh, our beer of the week. We're returning to the seasonal theme this week. It's a little bit late with the Black Raven Festivus Pale Ale always one of my favorites festivus is an easy to drink brilliant copper holiday pale ale brewed with orange peels northwest cranberries galangal root and a melange of festive spices that should wrap you in the warmth of a snowed-in winter hearth no one's getting snowed in anytime soon in seattle but uh that sounds terrific all right this week's toast we start with congratulations to the UW football offensive line for winning the Joe Moore award given annually to the nation's top offensive line. Did you see the size of this award? No, I believe it's listed at 800 pounds. Wow. It's so like it's a, even
0: more impressive than the pop tarts bowl award. <laughs> I trophy.
1: Mean, I mean, I don't know if it's as functional as the pop tarts bowl award, uh, bowl True. trophy, uh, I, that that is a, a useful one and probably easier to transport than the 800-pound Joe Moore Award trophy. But this is a very cool honor for players that aren't often recognized. Besides inexplicably uh, Parker Brails, Brailsford getting repeatedly singled out by the Pac-12 for honors, but I mean Michael Penix Jr. was barely touched all season you know, had had few sacks. And then you look at the way the offensive line cleared the way for Dylan Johnson in the second half of the season, particularly the USC game, the Oregon game. Uh, Certainly a well-deserved honor to a unit that doesn't get as much attention as Michael Penix Jr. and Roma Doonze and and some of the other skilled position stars. Are you still searching for the Glenn Foley stat?
0: I absolutely am.
1: (laughs) Do you have access to the Seattle Times? No, you should check it out. Okay. Well, you're, you're going to need to go on a rant at some point during the podcast. I, I, I already did out. my rant. <laughs> All right. Also, congratulations this week. It feels, feels late, but to Seahawks' safety, Julian Love, who was named NFC Defensive Player of the Week after his pair of interceptions against the Eagles. And a congrats to Julian Love for welcoming his child on on Friday. Uh, well-timed ahead of the Seahawks game on Sunday, allowing him to fly to Nashville. A big online. week for
0: Julian Love and also played well against the Titans in that Very game. Very well. I think Julian Love is, there was a moment at the beginning of the season where it's like, are we sure Julian Love is good? Do we understand the signing? And now I think these last couple of weeks with the scheme looking a little bit different, it's interesting, one notable thing that happens to align with that, that the Seahawks have not given up any big absence. plays. Devin
1: Witherspoon's absence.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what we're all talking about here. <laughs> the, the last two weeks of the Seahawks have not given up any big plays and just how different their secondary looks against the Eagles and the Titans than they did in the previous stretch. And, you know, I wonder, as the Seahawks possibly head toward the playoffs, going to be facing what is going to be a formidable passing offense, I am very curious to see what the defense will look like after
1: that and if there are certain players
0: that end up being shut down for the season.
1: It doesn't sound like those players are getting shut down for the season because they might play this week. We'll see. So, uh, yes, we we will indeed see on that one. But uh, certainly... Julian Love and Quandre Diggs have been doing great work back there at safety, and Julian Love in particular highlighted for those interceptions. And, and I think we, we talked about
0: this when you had the offseason of the Seahawks signing Love when they already had pretty strong depth at safety already. Well, the other plus thing the we didn't know pick.
1: then is like we were thinking, you know, maybe Julian Love plays a lot, or, or Jamal Adams functionally plays as the nickel. They have five defensive backs on the field, but Adams is playing like a linebacker, and Love gets on the field that way. And then it turns out that Devin Witherspoon is actually yes. the nickel Nickelback.
0: Uh, but but when they made those picks, when they made the signing of Julian Love and the pick of Devin Witherspoon, it was a conversation that we had about just how much depth you need in the secondary. And right now, what we're seeing is proof concept. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about Devin Witherspoon in the year in review podcast, but it, it's pretty incredible to see the the hypothetical of what a defense can look like and then the practical and seeing them shut down any long passes from a team like the Eagles. Obviously the Titans, not as impressive, but seeing them shut down a team like the Eagles with those players in on the field in December.
1: Yep. No matter how bad it got, Glenn fully remained and he kept throwing, hoping to find a, that's the lead, uh, a passing touch that abandoned him long ago. Cardinals reserve cornerback Corey Chavis intercepted his first attempt, intended for receiver Fabian Bones, and things never improved during Seattle's 21-3 exhibition loss to Arizona last night at Sun Devil Stadium. Fully engineered 11 Seahawks drives, and six of them ended by interceptions. Six interceptions, okay. This is on a sad note here, including a 45-yard touchdown return by strong safety Pat Tillman in the second quarter that gave the Cardinals a 14-0 lead. So there you go, six interceptions.
0: I just love that he kept firing.
1: Yeah. Did not lose confidence. Well, you know who's finally started firing. There we go. The Seattle Mariners. Yes, they did. agency. Christmas Eve. Christmas came early, sort of, to Mariners fans. <laughs> sort of. Is they actually they signed the largest hitter contract. Agreed to the largest hitter contract of the Jerry DePoto era, beating that A.J. Pollock contract there from last go. year, which worked out so well, uh, is first reported by my ESPN colleague, Jeff Passan. I've talked to Woj about breaking news on Christmas Eve. Jeff Passan pulled it off this year. Uh, the Mariners agreed to a two-year $24 million with Rangers DH Mitch Garver. Your first thoughts here?
0: I really had never heard of Mitch Garver. It's We <laughs> played him actually quite a bit. but Repeatedly. It, it was one of those names where he Started for
1: the team that won the World Series.
0: I just—I was like, Luca, do you know anything about Mitch Garver? And he was like, yeah, he's good. And I was like, okay. I mean—
1: You got the Luca co-sign?
0: Yeah, if it's like your first instinct is, he's good. His first his first response was, he's a catcher for the Rangers, and he's actually better than Jonah Heim.
1: Well, he's not really a catcher, as we'll probably get into in the course of this conversation. Uh, in part because of his age, he'll turn 33 in January. 87 games for the Rangers last year. He's slashed... also not better than Jonah high. I I'd Probably not, but I'm, I'm not taking a position on that because I, I do not have I it. looked it up statistically. Okay. Slashed 270, 500. That on-base percentage, which was a career high, would have ranked second behind only J.P. Crawford among Mariners players. Uh, had started all 14 playoff games as the rangers won the world series his 2.3 offensive war in those 87 games would have ranked fifth on the mariners just ahead of teoscar hernandez and a bit behind gino suarez's 2.5 playing all 162 games and this is the important thing 24 percent strikeout rate mariners front office approved
0: yeah i i
1: the shrug doesn't really, again, translate well. No, to that. I,
0: I, I don't. I think this is this is a positive, and the Mariners did something, and they improved their lineup during this time period. There are a lot of arguments that can be made, because we're pivot, pivoting to rationalization here, and there are a lot of arguments that can be made that there might even be some positives with the reductions that they had in offense between Geno, between Oscar, between Jared Kellenick, especially if that's the way that you want to approach baseball and really limit the strikeouts. So ultimately, on Christmas Eve, the Mariners made their lineup better. He's a 33 year old DH. So it's not exactly like this isn't a transformative move. No. But if all the Mariners need are slight upgrades, this isn't AJ Pollock. Like, this is a player who, I mean, that 370 on base percentage, he was also coming off a career year hitting as well. But they're not paying an extreme premium.
1: Not coming off a career OBP, not a career year hitting. That was 2019 when he won the Silver Slugger as a catcher. And might then have been better than Jonah Heim because his, his power was better that season. But the big question and the reason that he's been moved off of catcher is health. Garver has played just 209 combined games over the last three seasons. His first year in Texas, 2022, ended in July due to a torn flexor tendon in his right forearm. And then he missed nearly two months last season due to a knee sprain. But, you know, I think the hope is that pretty much full-time catcher will help him stay healthier over this course of this season.
0: Full-time DH.
1: Uh, Yes, full-time DH. I do think there is probably some small degree of benefit that the Mariners see to having a DH who can play catcher. Because they're a team that, when Cal Rally doesn't start, likes to pinch hit him and then leave themselves without a backup catcher in case of emergencies. So that's a nice thing to have, I suppose.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think this is, a, this is a positive move that the Mariners made. Again, it's not a transformative move, but this is the type of move that if everything else works out, which I'm not saying it's going to, but if everything else works out, the pitching staff stays healthy and good, the bullpen looks good, Julio continues to progress, the the strategy of not striking out is a positive strategy. They still have to fill some holes here. Yes. But like ultimately these are the types of moves that help you make the playoffs and win in the playoffs is having players like this. Because what we talked about was the Mariners had a strong void of just major league caliber hitting. Yep. And Mitch Garver is more he is he is what would be considered pretty good major league caliber hitting.
1: Yeah. I mean I think on a rate basis last year he would probably he would have been either the third or fourth best Mariners hitter. It's between him and Cal Raleigh for that. And it's and not
0: that much of a premium to pay, especially since they're going out and getting him in the free agency.
1: Yeah. Uh, depending on the structure of this contract, depending exactly what their budget is, they've said they will spend more than last season, even, you know, in the austerity post concerns over roots sports issues. issues. Uh, you know, the, if they spend a little bit more than 140 million, that leaves them somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 million to add to the outfield. So,
0: which I think seems reasonable.
1: Yeah, more maybe one more Mitch Garver type player, and then someone you know with a slightly more modest salary via trade. I don't know. We'll see exactly how they break that up. Some depth,
0: and there are still outfielders out there.
1: Yes, yes, as we've talked about, very few of those players have come off the mar- the slow developing market. All right, let's get into the roundup, starting with the Seattle Kraken, who got a pair of wins last week in Southern California, beating the Kings 2-1, the Ducks 3-2. They have now taken points in six consecutive games, but still tied for 11th in the West, three points out of a playoff spot, coming into Monday night's action. After their holiday break, the Kraken are at Calgary on Wednesday, back home against Philadelphia on Friday, before heading across town from Climate Pledge Arena to host the defending champion Las Vegas Golden Knights at T-Mobile Park in the 2024 Winter Classic on New Year's Day. A game that thankfully is not going up against the UW College Football Playoffs semifinal. That was the the one biggest positive of the Huskies ending up in the Sugar Bowl.
0: I mean, it's a positive for the Kraken. I,
1: I'm curious to watch this game.
0: No, I'm curious to watch. I mean, it'll you know, probably it'll probably be the first cracking game that I watch in full since the playoffs last year.
1: We'll probably still be streaming this because I want to see what's going on with Michigan-Alabama semifinal in the uh, at the Rose Bowl. But we were
0: talking about that. That I just I love that the first game is first. That the other playoff game is first, so that if the Huskies win, we all know exactly who they're playing.
1: I don't know though. I. I still liked it better in 2014 when the Seahawks beat the Packers and we could just like sit back and scout. That was the Deflate scout. Gate. Deflate, that was 2015, the 2014 season. The Deflate Gate AFC we Championship game we between the Patriots and the Colts. In. Do you
0: think this game is actually sold out?
1: Yes, the Winter Classic tickets were in very high demand. Really? Oh yeah. People love the novelty of going to an NHL Do game. Do you think outside. they're in
0: high demand by people? Or in high demand by people who are reselling tickets.
1: I mean, I haven't looked at the secondary market. That may have crashed a little bit, especially. Like, there are probably people that had tickets that are ending up going to the Sugar Bowl. Okay, so I'm looking at this map here. Uh-huh.
0: And there's just a lot of space between the ice and, like, the
1: outfield. That's correct. It turns out that in, in a hockey rink is way smaller than a baseball field. What do they put in that area? Uh, I, don't, I mean, I've seen the renderings. I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether people are, like, standing there at all or what like the infield at the kentucky derby or something
0: i mean like the get in price is 125 which is not bad it's not like dirt cheap because i was like shit if this game's like 15 i'll go to a hockey game
1: <laughs> no i don't think that was a that was an option all right here i have the rendering uh it looks like there's just oh, you know, it's like the walk between the dugouts that they're using and the field is, is what they put in there. And then just a lot of blank space, as it turns out. There appears to be some sort of a house out here in the left <laughs> center. And then a, a Just to boat, get cozy. <laughs> a boat for the Kraken in dead center. Oh my god. The Kraken eye is represented on the batter's eye. So I like that. That's cool. The out-of-town scoreboard is a bit more limited than uh, than it would be during the baseball season. Also, the rendering shows it's snowing. I cannot guarantee snow on New Year's Day. I can
0: almost guarantee not snow on New Year's Day.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it'll be fun to see. Looking forward to the novelty Event.
0: Let's see on StubHub what the cheapest ticket is. Like, 91. They're expensive tickets.
1: For there being 50,000 of them, or however many they're actually selling, yes. Uh...
0: There's so much space. I feel like it's a viewing experience being there. Like on TV, this is going to be better on TV than being in the 100%. Building.
1: Yes. The 2024 MLS schedule is out. The Sounders will begin the season February 24th with a playoff rematch at LAFC before returning home for their home opener March 2nd against Austin FC. The Lone Timbers Derby in Seattle will be played on decision day. October 19th, so could be a lot on the line between those two teams, could be nothing on the line. We'll see what transpires over the next 10 months, but an interesting choice to put the Timbers match that late in the season, I would say. We also have a schedule in the WNBA where the Seattle Storm will open by hosting the Minnesota Lynx on Tuesday, May 14th. Uh, the Commissioner's Cup has been reformatted. Will now take place the first two weeks of June and involve only one game against each other West opponent, similar to what the NBA and season tournament did, with no other games besides the Commissioner's Cup during that stretch. So they'll be kind of marked off as their own thing, uh, which was pretty successful for the NBA and season tournament. Lee Storm will play at the defending champion Las Vegas Aces twice in June before hosting Las Vegas July 10th again in their home finale on September 17th out of their final road game September 19th in Phoenix. All right, moving on to UW basketball, UW women. Undefeated no more. Their perfect start coming to an end last Wednesday at number 19 Louisville. But still, I think, a positive result. The Huskies were competitive in a 59-51 loss, limiting Louisville to eight free throw attempts, 14-14 turnovers. Uh, Kentucky native Lauren Schwartz led three players in double figures with 13 points in the Is that why they coming. played that game? I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I was, feel like that's
0: kind of lost, is it?
1: Well, that w- it would require you to have a player through like <laughs> multiple years I to be able to
0: plan like at least a year out
1: with one done freshman. I think sometimes they can, mm. you know, if you're if you're a big enough worker, they can plan you a game back home. UConn did that for Jalen Stewart this year. I don't know if that was that was the intent necessarily, but it, it did work out. Uh, Huskies ended up barely dropping in the pools, although they are out in the AP poll top team receiving votes still number 24 in the coaches poll know, women won't begin conference play in earnest until next weekend, giving them a well-deserved winter break.
0: Uh, so just putting putting a bow on non-conference play for the Husky women, we could do the same for the men in a second. But are they generally considered, they're in right
1: now, the NCAA tournament. I believe, well, technically they are the automatic qualifier from the Pac-12. There we go. Point. I believe they were a seven seed when I looked at this on, on the women's proctology bit. And they Charlie haven't Green. made
0: the tournament since Kelsey Plum. Correct. So it's been a good chunk of time.
1: More to come on this in the 2023 year in the Seattle Sports Podcast. All right, all right. You have men's basketball also wrapped up conf- non-conference play on Thursday, beating Eastern Washington in what was probably another L- no oh my L for God. them. They trailed 62-59 with 4.50 to go before finally taking control with a 10-run run run as I was streaming this while walking between Press Row in the Moda Center and your seats in the 300 level at that Knights Blazers-Wizards game. Uh, Huskies still dropped 12 spots in Kenpong, which projected a 14-point win instead of their actual 73-66 win. It's interesting, if you look at these last two games against Seattle U and Eastern that were much closer than you would have anticipated There's not really a common theme. The defense couldn't stop the Red Hawks. This game, the defense played well, but it was UW's worst offensive efficiency of the season. They shot a season low 47% on twos and had forwarded away their lowest offensive rebound rate of the season.
0: These are the kind of games that, considering they're a more experienced team, I'm a little surprised that they played as badly as they did, but they made it out with wins. I kind of thought these were games that was waiting for the time that they just crushed a team. And I know that Seattle U is not – Seattle U is a pretty formidable opponent, all things considered. But, like, they, I, I was surprised, given where they have gotten to from here. But I do feel like there's a little bit of element of just – it's, it's kind of like this is the hangover period of non-conference play. They've they, already played Gonzaga. They've played all these important games. And it's just like, it's fucking Christmas time. Let's just get through these and get to conference play.
1: And they did have a blowout over a similar caliber team in UC San Diego at the end of November. That was a 27-point win. Uh, in addition to their blowouts over Bellarmine and Montana State, who were easily the the two weakest teams they played in non-conference, this is probably more similar to the Northern Kentucky game. I mean, I think to me, like the common experience, maybe less so with a team like Seattle U, but certainly against a team like Eastern, is you know it's not shocking the Huskies were behind at halftime in this game. But usually you get them in foul trouble and they start to the depth starts to become an issue for them, and you slowly wear them down. And the funny thing was like. The Huskies committed as many fouls as Eastern did in this game. They were in foul trouble too, so it was like a legit taut, back and forth game the entire way. Uh, Eastern had finally gotten their second win over a uh, a D one opponent against number three twenty six in Ken Bomb Cal Poly on the road earlier in the week. So uh, good news for for Eastern. They uh, they actually get some home games as they start Big Sky play uh, against against Division 1 opponents.
0: Okay, so what about the bigger picture heading into conference play?
1: This is still easily the best offenses in the Mike Hopkins era, despite that performance. They're 49th in adjusted offensive efficiency. Ken Palm's still not that impressed with the Huskies (laughs) after that 12-point drop. He's never impressed. (laughs) But uh, Huskies are 41st in SportsReference.com's SRS, which does not take into account preseason expectations the way that Ken Palm does. So that's probably a better measure of you know, how they've played this season uh, and about, I think where people see them in terms of the NCAA tournament picture, they are currently the first team out. I pulled it up. I got a notification about
0: Bracketology. And for the first time in multiple years, I opened it and I was like, wow, they're the Huskies right there. And it was like the number one overall seed. The Huskies were the number, like the number two photo that there was. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, yeah, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It's 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 a long ways from March. Yeah. Uh it's just it's just nice to be talked about.
1: I mean, the thing is, there's been so many of these Mike Hopkins and even going back to the end of the Lorenzo Romar era where they just had such terrible non-conference losses that it was like they basically need to win the conference to have a chance to get in. And that's not the case this year. They just need to kind of stay the course. Uh They were an identical eight and three last year in non-conference, but uh, with the bad home loss to Cal Baptist, if you look at it this year, all three of their losses have come to projected NCAA tournament teams. There we go. Nevada's the lowest seed of those in the bracket watch at a nine seed. That's not bad. Yeah. So, like, they, they took care of business, and they got the big win over Gonzaga that they needed. They could have still taken care of business without beating Gonzaga, but that's kind of the signature win that they needed.
0: It's the signature win of the Mike Hopkins era.
1: Yeah. Uh, if we look at the Pac-12 as a whole, there are just three Pac-12 teams in the Ken Palm Top 45. It's God, gonna...
0: What a bad conference. Let's break it up.
1: <laughs> I, I agree, unfortunately.
0: Terrible basketball conference. Unfortunately, some
1: of the underwhelming teams this year are UC- USC <laughs> and us. UCLA and Oregon. Arizona is the one good basketball men's basketball team in the Pac-12. Women's basketball is awesome.
0: It is kind of funny, though, to think about this. Like We're so used to being in the Pac-12 basketball and football-wise. And just having all these years where it's like, God, they're just no good teams. And I feel like as you enter into the now the power two, like, that's just not going to happen. I,
1: I do not suspect that will be the case. No. Where,
0: where you could ever be like, ah, there just are no good teams around.
1: <laughs> the year where the Huskies won the conference regular season championship and didn't make the tournament. Yeah, I don't think that's happening in the Big Ten.
0: No, I, I mean, it's going to be a pretty fascinating thing. Because again, this has happened in basketball for like two decades.
1: Yeah uh huskies rank sixth and are projected to go 11 and 9 on average in conference play which would leave them 19 and 12 and probably right square on the bubble entering the pac-12 tournament if that i i most also likely scenario this, the idea that.
0: that you look at ken palm and like the west coast conference is more powerful oh, or yeah. whatever is better <laughs> like i mean
1: last year Mountain west for sure obviously they put a team in the con- in the championship game and uh then the west coast conference as well which is as fun fact, put a team in the championship game multiple times.
0: What do you make of basketball wise? I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but Oregon probably state not. and Wazoo playing football in the mountain West and basketball on the West coast conference. Is that,
1: I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun, especially if Gonzaga is still there because you know, the top of the Gonzaga West is still
0: going to be there. The
1: top the, of the West the, coast. The
0: dominoes of basketball are not going to fall for years.
1: I, don't I, think, I agree that they will probably still be there. Uh, the the middle of the West Coast Conference will get much stronger. Like, you know, they're those programs are not in basketball probably better than well, they're definitely not better than BYU, which is number four in Ken Palm. I learned t- today. What? I learned. <laughs> I have I have no idea what their what their schedule has looked like, but that was a, a wait. Fun BYU's discuss.
0: in the Big Twelve, though. Yes,
1: but they were in the West Coast Conference in in all sports but football before this year. Were they? They yeah. were in the Mountain West because they were independent in football. And then they were more or less doing the same thing that Oregon State and Washington State But it's interesting
0: that they're doing two separate conferences. Why did they not want to just do the Mountain West?
1: They did want to just do the Mountain West. But logistically, it didn't work out with the Mountain West.
0: Is it eventually they're going to both be in the Mountain West?
1: No, eventually the Mountain West is going to be in the Pac-12. The
0: Pac-12 will just be the Mountain West.
1: Yes, because as I've said all along, the brand is too valuable to go away. It's just this idea that the Pac-12 is dying. Like, no, it's just going to be something else. It's going to be the Mountain West.
0: Do, do you think, let's say that the, Mount, the Pac-12 becomes the Mountain West. They become one conference. Mountain West, go, it absorbs the Mountain West. Do you think that is a desirable enough, I just can't get away from conference realignment. Do you think that is a, a desirable enough location for Gonzaga to move to for basketball?
1: Probably not. You think it's Big 12 or nothing? I mean, they've already like if they wanted to be in the Mountain West, they could have been in the Mountain West.
0: But now they have they have the branding. Possible extra teams.
1: We'll see. I don't know. It's look. I it's tough to say how this is going to continue to evolve over the long term. BYU is eleven and one. We'll talk about their lone loss in a bit. They don't really have their their best win is against San Diego State at home. Uh, But just just crushed a lot of teams.
0: Also, the E C E C is ultimately eventually doomed. And it does feel like conference-wise, there's, I saw, this is a Reddit thing where somebody called them the power two, where it's like, that's what it is, right? Yes. And I do feel like the the strata, stratification of all of the other conferences is going to become more muted, but it's going to be like Big Ten, SEC, and then kind of just a bunch of conferences. And I think that the Pac-12 and the Big 12, if this is the case with the Mountain West, will be perceived generally to be more or less on a similar playing field.
1: It may also depend on the sport, I think. Because, like, the uh, Big 12 I, is going to be very good at men's basketball. Yes. They have definitely prioritized that in a way that But the also, power the, the Pac-12,
0: let's say that the Pac-12 is pretty clearly ahead of... Would, would the Pac-12, as it was, pre-USC and UCLA, have been good enough if they were like, Gonzaga, come play basketball with us? Would Gonzaga have done it?
1: So like, when UCA, USC and UCLA were there?
0: Yeah, like two years ago. If two years ago the Pac-12 was like, we will take you in basketball, do you think they would have done it?
1: Probably. I mean, like that's an easier fit for them than the Big, Ten, Big 12 would have been or would be. Like Don't geographically words, it makes sense.
0: And Gonzaga, we do not want you. Okay. We're there and the door is closed.
1: Just shut it shut, right we shut the door behind us. <laughs> you Thank that, you. you. You left that door wide open for for North Carolina. Oh no, 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 no! It's wide open know. for other yeah. schools. No, no, no! no yeah. It's just closed for Gonzaga. it's just closed for anyone on the West Coast.
0: <laughs> for now, we'll see.
1: I I think so. Yes.
0: You think you think that they would have?
1: Because also, they would have thought correctly that they could have won the conference every year because they had won 16 consecutive games or whatever it was against Pac-12 opponents before losing. There At we
0: go. And we end the conference.
1: You know what laws. I'm disappointed we never got what? after that game?
0: Mark Few retire, bitch. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know it sucks we didn't have the the energy. I mean, maybe he should, if we're being honest. You know, there's always a little bit of hint of truth that maybe <laughs> Jalen or Jalen Hurts, did you see that pick six to Dory Jackson? <laughs> I don't Them think Bo struggling Nicks. with eh, the Giants.
1: Eh, maybe Bodek should retire, but probably not. Just six round pick. Definitely do not think Dan Lanning should retire. All right, so let's look at this weekend. He's, he's
0: going to come in. That's going to be like December 2025, and we're going to be like, "Oh shit, Bonix is starting," and then he's going <laughs> to play really well for one game. You know, he's got he's got Browning deep down in him.
1: Browning played well for multiple games. Sir.
0: I actually think looking back on the stats, I think Jake Browning did not have that bad of a game.
1: I didn't really look at his stats as part of the Steelers prep.
0: He still threw for like 300 plus yards.
1: How many picks did he have?
0: The three picks yeah. weren't great.
1: Yeah. All right, so UW is facing two of those top 45 teams in the Pac-12 on the road this weekend to start conference play. It's a rough start to Pac-12 play for the Huskies at Colorado and Utah, the two mountain teams. Uh, the Buffaloes went 9-2 and two in non-conference play. They Both of these teams did. Colorado didn't really have a signature win. Their best was over Miami on a neutral court. They lost to Florida State indeed Daytona In overtime and by five at Colorado State, which we saw against UW, just how formidable they are, but dominated lowly competition at home. Junior point guard KJ Simpson is 10th in the Ken Palm KPOY rankings, having shot 62% on twos, 49% on threes, 90% on free throws. So he's working on, I'm pretty sure, a 50-40-90. Uh, promising freshman guard Cody Williams, the younger brother of Oklahoma City guard Jalen Williams, mm-hmm. Williams, not to be confused with Big Jalen Williams, not to
0: be confused with Jalen Williams,
1: was off to a great start before wrist injury sidelined him the last three games. And this is a team with good size, with six foot nine Tristan De Silva and six foot eleven <laughs> transfer Eddie Lampkin in the fight. <laughs>
0: Should I start pronouncing my name Tristan? <laughs> <laughs> Are you Brazilian? He's Tristan, but I'm Tristan. Yes. Some might say I'm at least partially Argentinian. No, that doesn't work like that.
1: <laughs> Argentinians might be Italians. That doesn't make Italians Argentinian. Uh, are
0: you Are you aware? I've, if there was any uh, question about whether Leo Messi, Leo Messi, and I definitely uh, kindred, but also his children, we were talking about how I, I was like our children i don't really know where where this came from but i was like we're gonna have to have our children change their names or pretend to be leo messi's children it was some sort of scenario where i was like trying to get into something by claiming to be leo messi anyway (laughs) but i was like mateo you have to pretend that your name is mateo
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was an easy easy tiago
0: mateo and chiro
1: I I looked up Chiro like
0: before Chiro Immobile. It's not like there's like a long history of Chiros. Maybe
1: he just really loved watching Immobile
0: fly. Chiro Immobile. (laughs) I I went back after seeing that and I was like, I regret not having, not wanting to name it. That's such a good name, Chiro. Just imagine how much it would be mangled in fucking Kent School District.
1: You know what Chiro sounds like?
0: (laughs) What does it sound like? You (laughs) Chiro? Oh, no. You didn't think about that, did you? Wow. Wow. is a great name. Chiro It Really Garcia.
1: makes you think. All right, so Utah, as we said, also 9-2. They do have that marquee win, being BYU 73-69 at home earlier in the month. Also, one at St. Mary is not—it doesn't mean as much as it used to, but a good win. Uh, their losses both came in the Charleston Classic to Houston, which is number one in Ken Palm, and to rising St. John's. Uh, They're number 24 overall in Ken Palm, number 27 in offense, looking a lot more like third-year coach Craig Smith's Utah State teams, including the one the Huskies faced in the NCAA tournament the last time they made it in 2019. Uh, They're shooting 38% on threes, have a high assist rate. Our old friend Cole Basheva has started all 11 games at 38% from three.
0: God, I'm just, you know, I'm happy that he's happy.
1: Me too. Look, everything worked out. I'm I'm good with, uh, I know I forgot Wood's first name now.
0: Yeah, woods. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm not confident enough in
1: <laughs> uh they start five seniors have the tallest minutes weighted roster in the NCAA. Mike Woods? I wanna say nah. I, it, it can't be this far far defined, this information. I have Moses the, Wood. Moses Wood, yes. You said woods, that's what threw it off. No, I said Did you say wood? Yeah. Okay. You said Woods. Uh, They start seven-footer Brendan Carlson. Take that part out. Who's been their center (laughs) in past years and seven-foot-one Lawson Lovering together in the front court. So this is going to be a situation where the Huskies may need some Braxton Mia uh, minutes in a big way. Uh, Lover and he transferred from Colorado. I didn't realize that there he had go. gone from Colorado. Add in to... some
0: more speculation about pricing for the Winter Classic instead of us <laughs> not remembering Moses, okay, Moses good, Woods' good. name.
1: Yes. Uh, also, keep an eye on Gabe Madsen, who's making three threes a game at a forty percent, 46% clip. I had to look this up. He is not related to Mark Madsen. <laughs> okay, thank you for looking at up. Because it would be weird if he, thank wasn't you for your service. he wasn't playing for his dad at Cal. Would be uh, a strange fifth
0: Utah in general, it's one of the situations where you're like, yeah, I'm happy we don't have to play them anymore. You're getting this time of year where, you know, 2023 is ending. We're thinking about conference realignment, right? It's, that's every day for me. But, right. like, but uh, Utah in general, basketball and football-wise, I do feel like they're they're becoming one of the better programs around the country.
1: I would know? agree with that. So, I mean, the basketball Happy is, to never see them again. The basketball has seen better days. Like, they have... Let, they last made the NCAA tournament in 2016. Really? So it's been a minute.
0: It's funny when you look back on it and they look, only it was made like, it twice. can you believe Utah was whatever? And I'm like, dude, they like probably, I think they finished like number three in the country under Urban Meyer or whatever. And this is yeah. like, what conference were they in with Rick Majeris?
1: Mountain. Well, uh, I mean, they what, started in the WAC. In the WAC? We're in the Mountain West, I believe, at the point that they made the, the title game.
0: That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. So. No, I guess that was still the whack. The Mountain West did not begin play until 2000. Ken Palm coming in with all the answers to today. All right, lastly, on UW Men's Basketball Here Front, big news. Go! Another edition we've got. It was a week of additions, I would say. You know, Mitch Garver. We got Zoom Diallo committing to UW as part of the 2024 class five-star point guard. Uh, Tacoma Native played at Chris High before transferring to Basketball Academy prolific prep He's ranked number 25 overall by ESPN, number three among point guards. Here's what he told ESPN about his commitment I'm going to stay home and play at Washington. Staying home has everything I there want. There we and go. Did. Everything he wants and needs. Emphasis is mine on Mike Hopkins. He is an energetic guy. He gets people fired up. I trust Coach Hop, Will Conroy, and staff. They have recruited me hard since I was a freshman. They have proven player development can help me be a pl- better player and grow as a person. I'm like, have they? I will <laughs> trust they will be there for me on good days. Name one player, though. Keon Brooks. Okay. Uh, trust they will be there for me on good days and bad. With Severe Wheeler leaving, I believe I can make an impact and help the University of Washington stay successful. I am excited to play with Wesley Yates and the returning players. So, no one tells Zoom Diallo about the transfer portal. <laughs> I know. No, I, I think Wesley let is going to be fine. Zoom Diallo is good right away. We haven't heard, heard an update. This was when the Huskies were hoping to have Wesley Yates back for this trip. So, we'll see whether we get a chance to see him in action and whether he can. I like help that improve he specifically
0: called out Severe, too. It's just like an opening. I'm just like the team's going to change every year. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't memorize anybody's name, Zoom. I mean, he should this year. He's he's yeah.
1: now rooting for them the rest of the way.
0: Uh, this is awesome, though. I mean, ha- having a recruit who's rated this high, he can't shoot, right? Am-, am-, am I understanding this correctly?
1: I haven't done a lot of the deep dive on Zoom Diallo yet.
0: I think it was basically his jump shot as a work in progress. Okay. He's a classic Mike Hopkins recruit,
1: but he's, he's not because... We- because they him because he's good. That's good. System. Good
0: and from, and this is a, a little bit, I, again, I hesitate to give credit to Mike Hopkins yet, but he's been in the Northwest for six years now, seven years.
1: Uh, it's, it's late at night.
0: It's been, it's 8.55 PM.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was hired in 2017.
0: So. His basically his sixth, seventh year in, in Seattle. He has some roots in Seattle now. We'd always kind of talked about, like, joked about, you know, upstate New York or whatever. That's kind of gone from the yes the Mike Hop, Hopkins background. But the other piece of I trust Coach Hop, we no longer Will Conroy, over upstate
1: New York. and staff. Oh, yeah. Will Conroy, like, 100%. Will
0: Conroy being here and, and him maintaining Will Conroy. Will Conroy also not even having, not necessarily having the opportunities to leave, but like, it, I'm sure he's had opportunities. At least to smaller places, but like a place that is not desirable enough to go. Like as a like, head
1: coach? Yeah. Smaller, I don't know that he's necessarily had that opportunity. I'm,
0: but Will Conroy staying here, the way that he connects with players, like, Will Conroy is going to be a head coach somewhere. And I would say that the chances of Will Conroy being the head coach at the University of Washington eventually are quite high.
1: I, especially when quotes like that, like, you know, I, I don't think the to Tala's commitment... In and of itself, would get Mike Hopkins an extension. Like that's gonna probably be determined on the court the rest of the way here. But if it's not Mike Hopkins, it's probably gonna be Will Conroy.
0: Yes. So this is this is a huge one. But also being able to maintain Seattle is good enough at basketball at the prep level that if you have strong roots, there can be an excellent program. At yeah. the University of Washington,
1: it's very different from football, where the Huskies did not sign a single player from the state of Washington. This really? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, kind of wild.
0: Not a single player from the state of Washington. They did not. I, I mean, there is, there is that level of talent. Somehow they just all go to Ohio State. But like this year was not as strong a
1: class. But other, but they the players who were Power Five caliber chose elsewhere. UW is a sorry Power Two,
0: Power Two caliber. I mean UW is such a California program. As far as recruiting goes, but like uh, having having signing recruits from the state of Washington is going to be the most important thing to sign recruits from the state of Washington. Yeah. And that's the way it is always going to be is maintaining guys like Zoom Diallo is what is going to get the players coming back home when they're transferring. Because that's a huge factor in this. Also, yep. having good players here and losing them is not the end of that conversation. And I know that I, I'm still I'm impressed with Mike Hopkins and Will Conroy. They're probably going and looking at players that they initially recruited beforehand yeah. and bringing them back. So, like, this is a huge signing. Will Zoom Diallo end his career at UW? I have no idea.
1: Right. I mean, there's probably a better chance than with most players. Is his career might not it, be that long. It may be short,
0: but. The that, college would be, career, to be clear. that would be best case scenario to me. If Zoom Diallo is good great. enough that he can go to the NBA after one year, excellent, right? Yeah. That means that there's going to be a very good and very fun season of watching UW basketball and having that prep talent play here. Although I
1: will say the past one and duns at UW men's basketball do not seem to reflect that very fun season. Because <laughs> the, the guys they've had recently who are one and Duns Isaiah Stewart, uh, Jalen McDaniels, and of course, uh, Martell Holtz.
0: I was at the uh, when we were at the Blazers game. Luca wore my Martell Webster jersey. I, I see it right here. Yeah, I, right I, I surmised as much. And I took I took a picture and just like still a still representing Seattle, despite being in the state from down south. Correct. B. He has to be the only person in that building wearing a Martell Webster jersey. <laughs> I I the would amount not of rule people it out. Who wore jerseys a- of. Players currently on the Blazers roster was hard to find. I was looking around and I was like, I see Rasheed Wallace,
1: like tons of dames everywhere. There's enough Portland hipsters out there that I'm sure there was at least one other Martel Webster. You think there was
0: one? No way.
1: I'll I'll talk to my Blazers people about this.
0: You asked them if they've seen a Martel Webster jersey all year. Okay. But, but... I didn't even really see like Brandon Roy jerseys. That's how you know that you're fucking. That's, that's hipster status is not having Brandon Roy from Seattle. It's having Martell Webster from Seattle. Exactly. Thank you.
1: Yes. Uh, so we to go back to UW men's basketball, which Martell Webster did not play for. That's what I so thought we were to, talking about. Went to the NBA directly <laughs> out of high school. Uh,
0: the best players are always the ones who never played at UW.
1: <laughs> they can't screw anything up. If, if bigger p- picture, not just on this season, but on the Hop tenure. Like, I remember when I worked for the Storm, the year that the team became independent, there was like a list of pe- reasons, pe- pe- reasons people had given for why they hadn't bought tickets. So maybe they didn't like the coach who was Donovan at the time. Maybe they didn't think there was enough star players. Maybe they didn't want to sell, sell, you know, support the Oklahoma City ownership group during the period that they owned the team. Well, It was like, guess what? Hmm. All of those things have changed. The team got <laughs> sold. We got a new head coach, Brian Angler. We signed Cheryl Swoops and Swin Cash and Yolanda Griffith. Like, every reason you've given why you don't want to come to Storm Games no longer applies. And that's a little how I feel about what Mike Hopkins is doing this season. Like, my biggest complaints about Mike Hopkins were, well, he can't recruit the, sta- the state of Washington. The offense is always bad. The 2-3 zone. Guess what? of oh, those things no longer apply this He's season. He fixed everything. Now, that's, whether that's permanent... Whether that's even less than the next three months, we'll see. But that's how I feel right now.
0: I, th- I think we do have to be a little bit better as a society for giving people credit when things don't go wrong and they change. And it's also one of those things that you were talking about. You're anti relegation because, wow, we got into a very different conversation here. You're anti relegation because you think it makes people do like knee jerk short term reactions. Correct. Things like that, like firing coaches constantly. There's definitely something to... Like, I wanted Mike cop. I was shocked Mike Hopkins wasn't fired after last year. But it would have been a whole reset of the program, Yep. ultimately. And the season that they're having, it's not like a victory lap season yet. No. But they are interesting and competitive. And they do have the one victory lap victory. Which is something, in the same way that we talked about, Lorenzo Romar did beat Gonzaga. This isn't Chris Peterson never winning the big game or whatever. Like, Lorenzo Romar beat Gonzaga and beat Gonzaga multiple times. But... It had. Did
1: he beat Gonzaga multiple times? He must have. I don't. I think that might have been the only time they beat them in like the last twenty-five. In like the last thirty years. So there are two times that they beat them. I. Two thousand five. Two thousand five and twenty twenty-three. Right, That's I'm, the number one sports story of the year now. I know. <laughs> I'm gonna do some research on that. Hold on. You keep talking. Uh
0: but like, I have having a victory like that. Being able to, like, change what he's doing is something that I think Mike Hopkins deserves credit for, ultimately. And I think it's something that we have to be better as a society and as sports fans for giving people credit for, not just relying on the old narratives or whatever. Even if it doesn't work, you know? Sometimes things don't always work, but at least he's trying. And I think that's the thing that's most frustrating when you watch older coaches, not Pete Carroll included, because Pete Carroll has transformed what he does, is that they just do the same thing over and over and over again, and it never works. But if you're trying out different things and they still aren't working, at least you're trying.
1: I think that's a reasonable way to put it. Uh, before two thousand five, the UD, previous UW win over Gonzaga was nineteen ninety seven under Bob Bender.
0: There we go. So the, the three great pillars of UW basketball: <laughs> Bob Bender, Lorenzo Romart, and Mike Hopkins. I mean, those are the, well, the last they, they three have, coaches, right?
1: They are the. I mean, yes, they've it's not one had win a lot of coach. coach. Uh, no, I think Bob Bender had more than that. It's just it didn't mean that much to me. Gonzaga back when he was. But I guess they didn't even play them in 96, 97. I don't know when. <laughs> Couldn't that, even waste our time playing them. When that series began, he, he didn't did even beat them,
0: bother getting on I ninety. Uh, did beat them
1: in nineteen ninety five as well. So, Bob for, Bender had for a pair of
0: wins. For how bad of a program overall UW basketball has been for like the last like on a large, large scale, like forty years. They've had very few coaches.
1: That is true. They've had a lot of continuity there. Well you know who else hasn't had very many coaches? There we go. I can tell you there probably were some Pete Carroll retire bitches and not as positive <laughs> as you we were. Not not on
0: not on not on record for what it's worth. <laughs>
1: not in, not on this podcast. Uh a couple weeks ago. But suddenly Pete Carroll's doing his Pete Carroll thing. Because can you win the game in the first quarter? Mm-mm. Can you win the game in the second quarter? Nope. Can you win the game in the third quarter? Can you nope. win the game in the first thirteen minutes of the fourth quarter?
0: <laughs> that hasn't yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you win by identical twenty to seventeen scores I, I on game-winning drives? I does
0: that, and just how hyped everybody on the team gets.
1: I mean the the locker room speech after the Eagles game. I, had that been out by the time we recorded the podcast? I don't think so. I don't think we'd seen the full thing. That like that made me want to run through a wall. Yeah, identical twenty to seventeen scores with different quarterbacks leading the game-winning drives I didn't drive think about that each week. That was that was a stat. Uh, ESPN stats and info I believe had it that it last happened in I want to say 2009
0: the back-to-back game-winning drives or identical scores in back-to-back weeks
1: uh not the not the identical scores the back-to-back game-winning drives by different by different quarterbacks yeah I mean it's a pretty wild thing to happen it is I agree and all of a sudden your Seattle Seahawks at eight and seven can clinch a playoff spot this very weekend I love this with a win and a tie between the Packers and Vikings. I told Luca
0: about that because he cheers for ties every oh, week, he, and I was like, "Luca, does All that needs to happen." <laughs> Simple two-step plan. <laughs> I think Packers Vikings is Sunday night, right? Is that the Sunday? Yeah, I think it is. If That's- they tie, if they tie on New Year's Eve, the Seahawks come off a win, oh and God. if they tie, it'll it'll be the best moment in Seahawks history to have made the playoffs that way.
1: Ah. Uh, It'll be the best moment to have. It'll it, be the second best moment to have made the playoffs that way in calendar 2020. That's what I was going to say.
0: It'll feel eerily reminiscent of last year, watching the Lions beat the Packers to make the playoffs.
1: But that was different because the Seahawks needed that one. In this case, they don't need it uh, necessarily. Yeah, that is the Sunday night game.
0: But to make their way in via the final game, game of incredible. 2023. Wow! There we go. I mean, that's another team. I don't
1: know. <laughs> uh. As we mentioned earlier, Devin Witherspoon sounds good to come back Thank this God. week. He was able to run Two weeks in a row, Tuesday. I felt
0: like they needed him very— and I will think that the Seahawks need Devin Witherspoon always, but like—
1: And maybe they, sometimes they need a second Devin Witherspoon, even when they have they need, Devin Witherspoon. They need 10 more, but <laughs> I would trade that all Witherspoon defense. Why don't they make the whole defense
0: out of Devin Witherspoon? But like, the, the way that the Titans ran the ball against them— and out physical the Seahawks through a lot of that game, it kind of felt like it was one of those where it was like, this is a Devin Witherspoon game.
1: Uh, Jamal Adams possible to come back this week, according to Pete Carroll on the Pete Carroll Show. It sounds like Jordan Brooks unlikely to Ugh. play after leaving Sunday's game with an ankle injury that that certainly exacerbated some of the run issues, especially because they had been using a a three big nickel with Bush as a third off-ball linebacker out there Already Yeah, Pre in the early parts of the game So then he became the second off-ball linebacker Alongside Bobby Wagner
0: It's basically just a 4-3,
1: right? No, because it's Yeah, I guess it probably is yes. <laughs>
0: you're, like, you're like, they. it's a big nickel They replaced a cornerback with a linebacker <laughs>
1: But they had two down linemen sure. And the edge rushers were Not lined up on the ground so it is slightly different. Do you have anything other thoughts on this Tennessee game? Wouldn't that be just they had Because the edge rushers are still not defensive ends if they don't have their hand in the dirt.
0: Plus two so you essentially linebackers.
1: Have five linebackers. It's a two five four. Okay.
0: They only had two two people on the line?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, yeah, that there's a scheme for that also. It's definitely not big nickel though. Mm, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's just like we're we're inventing things that 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 have been invented in like 19 some whatever. <laughs> it's like the base defense 20 years ago and it's like all of a sudden you, you like it's it's like tech companies inventing a defense and they're like what if we pull a cornerback and play a linebacker <laughs> instead. We'll call it a big nickel. <laughs> That's all remember Uh Anyway, Steelers come to town, New Year's Eve. Huge stakes for the Seahawks. I
1: think the one other thing we should say about this game, you mentioned the Seahawks limiting big plays. The Seahawks did not give up a lot of points in this game. It was, as I said, an identical 20-17 to final. The Seahawks' defense was still not good in this game overall. They had came up with a lot of great timely plays. The repeated sacks throughout the game were big.
0: Pass rush was great.
1: But Tennessee's offense overall was incredibly efficient over the course of this game. In part because of the the inability to stop Derrick Henry on the, the ground.
0: The only thing that was different from my expectation going in was I didn't think they'd run the ball as well as they ran the ball.
1: No, I mean they had been running the ball so poorly recently, but uh,
0: but also it was that's what Ryan Tannehill is gonna do. Like Ryan Tannehill played a mostly mistake free. He didn't have a great game. No, all, all things considered, but he just he he generally put the ball where he needed to. He got pressured a lot. In this game. Which is probably a quarterback stat. But like. It's just. That game went. Generally how you would expect. If you're just like. The Seahawks are going to play a game against the Titans. Removing all of the current notions of things. You're just like. How will that look? You're like. The Titans are probably going to run the ball. And be annoying. And Ryan Tannehill is going to pick up a bunch of first downs. And it's going to be really frustrating. But maybe they won't score touchdowns all the time. And like. They still needed. A Derrick Henry pass. To score a touchdown. It wasn't easy necessarily. Titans had to work for those points. So did the Seahawks
1: though. I didn't also mean by my fantasy team also did that Derrick Henry pass. Nice. Made the finals.
0: But I I think most importantly in in this low scoring game, I think what shouldn't be forgotten is just how well the Seahawks offense played in the second half. They were awesome. Because it was three possessions if I recall correctly in the second half. A field goal that they could have easily scored a touchdown on and there was a play. They're still figuring it out in the red zone of exactly what they want things to look like I'm not a huge fan of the uh fade right and they run it a lot but they got that touchdown to DK they had a jump ball play when when people are like why don't they just throw the ball up to dK he's huge they tried one of those on that first possession of the second half yep. and it almost worked it, it took a couple of defenders being there and I was like they, they should try that again like that should be something that they do in the red zone and then finally
1: isolating Colby Parkinson against a smaller defender gotcha you got to get Colby Parkinson the ball.
0: Playmakers make plays. That's what I always say. Not
1: long after I said in the Discord, got to get the tight ends involved.
0: And Colby, the Noah Fant having zero red zone targets the entire season. Wait, is that just, true? Yeah, that's, a, that's what they said on the broadcast. It was just like, that can't be true. Because Noah Fant's that. been kind of awesome.
1: Noah Fant's been very awesome.
0: So I was a little bit surprised. To also Noah no Fant.
1: Loki can be pretty expensive as a free agent this offseason.
0: We'll see. I'm, I'm skeptical what kind of market there's going to be.
1: You remember what they paid Will Disley? Just
0: because the Seahawks paid Will Disley an obscene amount of money doesn't mean there was a market for Will Disley.
1: Uh, there's always a reason.
0: But the, but the offense needing to score on all of those possessions and then coming down and doing it, and especially the drive that they had at the end, Geno played an incredible game. I thought Gino was really good, especially in the second half. I mean, he hadn't played for a couple of weeks. You know, like, Gino Smith was coming off of injury and then came back, right? He came off the injury that he suffered in the Rams game and then came back and then was injured again. And it was like, yep. Gino looked great in the Cowboys game and then was down. But, like, Gino just hasn't played that many snaps for a while here. And I think it took a second for him to get comfortable for the line— the line to get comfortable once they did they were pretty perfect in that second half
1: yeah all right now let's talk about the steelers who come in an identical eight and seven they snapped a three-game losing streak against a pretty weak set of opponents arizona new england and at indianapolis with the aforementioned 34 11 domination of jake browning led cincinnati Bengals on saturday the steelers started seven and five with kenny pickett at quarterback Then when he went down with an ankle injury, lost both Mitchell Trubisky starts before Mason Rudolph got the start on Saturday, his first since November 2021. And lo and behold, Rudolph came up big right before Christmas. 17 of 27 for 290 yards, two touchdowns. A performance that opened the door for him to remain the starter this week despite Pickett working back from that ankle injury. Uh, Pickett threw six touchdowns in 12 games this season. That's wild. As a starter. Although his overall numbers are not quite that bad. He's still 26. He threw like no picks either, right? He, yeah, four interceptions. Six, 26. So he matched EPA Brock Purdy, Purdy in one
0: Composite. game in interceptions. Like, Kenny Pickett just kind of doesn't do a lot.
1: He's playing safe. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, a lot of, uh, of old-school Pete Carroll quarterback in from him. Although not the deep passes, I guess I would say. I mean... They made a change mid-season. They fired Matt Canada as offensive coordinator. Turns out he probably wasn't the problem. That they had like a, a good game after that, but then really struggled thereafter. But uh, Rudolph previously played against the Seahawks off the bench in relief of Ben Roethlisberger in 2019. You recall going 12 of 19 for 112 yards and an interception. God, I don't in know if one. I do remember that game at all. You don't. Roethlisberger had the thing; he like hit his hand. I don't know if it was oh, on someone's helmet or what. Yeah. And he was like shaking it on the sidelines, like yeah. showing him. And Rudolph came in, and that was very, that was very positive for the Seahawks' chances of winning the game, since Ben Roethlisberger is exactly the kind of quarterback who always picks apart the Seahawks, and Mason Rudolph is not. So he was run game pretty average overall. Uh, Jalen Warren has been far more effective this season than starter Najee Harris, I, and they made that game
0: closer than they should have. The Steelers, yes. I. I sort of remember that. Well, that was early in the season. What was it? September. It was week two. Okay. Wilson, C- and this Russell was... Wilson was the quarterback of the Seahawks. It's kind of wild this game was that close because Russ was 29 of 35 for 300 yards and three touchdowns.
1: This was the year the Seahawks ended up losing to the Rams in the first round as NFC West champions, right? So this was the co- it
0: was the COVID year? No. That no. would have been 2020.
1: Was that the year they lost to the Rams? Yes. Okay.
0: That was the COVID. There weren't, weren't fans there. Yeah. They this won't. was the year that they lost, lost to, to the Cowboys? To the Cowboys in the playoffs.
1: Okay.
0: Uh that Drew, team was good. It was actually an underrated team, I think. The Steelers or the Seahawks? The Seahawks. They also had the running back who matters.
1: George Pickens eclipsed one thousand yards last week. Deontay Johnson, the only other Steelers player with more than three hundred and thirty receiving yards. Pickens ten point four yards per target. Truly I think
0: it was, was it Clowney who hurt him? That's what is in my head.
1: I think you were thinking of the playoff game against the Eagles.
0: I think it might have been Clowney also in this one too,
1: though. But then those aren't the same seasons. 2018 is the
0: Clowney was on the team.
1: Uh, He recorded a tackle. So that was the year. 2018 was the year they lost to the Cowboys. 2019, they beat the Eagles and then lost to Green Bay in the second round. Uh, George Pickens' ten point four yards per target are incredible in the context of the Pittsburgh offense. He's averaging eighteen yards per reception, including three of forty plus yards last week. Deontay Johnson is averaging seven point one yards per target. Nobody else on the roster is above six point one yards per target. So I I don't know if it's a reek woolen against George Pickens all day to try to take him away and Quandre digs over the top, but You've got to stop George Pickens at all costs. It's kind
0: of hilarious how much there seems to be just like permanent consternation with George Pickens from Pittsburgh and even having him in fantasy. He's such a frustrating player, but also is putting I together— I don't think that's
1: George Pickens' fault that he's frustrating in fantasy. But
0: but no, it's, it's kind of incredible the season that he's put together to be over 1,000 yards and averaging those yards per reception with this team. Like, George Pickens last week was the offense. Yeah. And and that's why when I look at it It was a game, good offense. I don't, let Blazers crushed the Kings. Uh, really? Yeah. Huh. When, when I look at that game I it doesn't it in any other scenario, obviously it's Jake Browdy on the other side. Like this is going to be a better offense than that Bengals offense. But when I look at that game and how many points the Steelers scored, when you're scoring points that way, it is just not replicable week to week, and also, if there's one thing that Pete Carroll wants to stop and is going to stop, like, dink and dunk all day, right? Take that. That is what the Pete Carroll defense is designed to do. They and you want, want to, to always you-
1: stop that. To be clear, the, the last two weeks have stood out because previous to that, they were leaking big plays like crazy with blowing assignments. Now, I don't think the Steelers are going to put quite the stress on the Seahawks' defense with their pre stat movement and variety of uh, offensive threats that the San Francisco 49ers do.
0: But, I mean, Mason Rudolph had 17 completions for 290 yards. Four of them went for 195 to George Four! <laughs> so that means that there were 15 completions for 95 yards. Yeah. On everything else. That's and it's that. just like... We call those the Pat Fryer move. If, if that's how this is set up, like, it's just... It's not a thing that is replicable. And that's why this game doesn't scare me. Quite as much, and I think you have to look a little bit more at the previous games that the Steelers played. It's not like Mason Rudolph figured it out or whatever. Look, if he did, more power to him. If they could get it to George Pickens four times for 195 yards again, do that.
1: I mean, don't do that, actually, I would say. Not more power to I,
0: I just am not going to buy that that's actually going to be the offense again.
1: In fairness to Pat Friermuth, he did not have a target or a catch on Saturday in this game. All right, so the Steelers are winning. No, we primarily. call that the—I see what you're saying. The yeah. Pat Friermuth is the— 15 catches, the 15 catches yeah. Yeah. Steelers win primarily with a top-10 defense. They're eighth-best <laughs> against dropbacks in terms of EPA per play and allow the third-most yards per completion, but 60.5% completions, and they're fourth in the NFL in interception rate. That's come by committee. No player has more than one pick. And Mika Fitzpatrick, who led the league with six last year, has none. Fitzpatrick missed last week with a knee injury, but is expected back in practice this week. T.J. Watt leads the NFL with 17 sacks, which would be his third time atop the league. Second, his career only to his record 22 and a half sacks in 2021. They're not incredible in terms of overall sack rate. Watt and Alex Highsmith with seven are their lone two players with more than three sacks. And uh, lastly, on defense, Bellevue native Miles Jack played I extensively thought. on Saturday. You may remember on this very podcast, we toasted to Miles Jack's retirement <laughs> in trading camp. There we go. He unretired. I don't remember that. So, enjoyed the good practice news. squad after injuries uh, hit their linebacking core and took the field with Landon Roberts, leaving Saturday's game. Roberts is out against the Seahawks. So, a likely homecoming for Miles Jack at linebacker.
0: Uh, but obviously, a very good defense. one of one of the better ones that the CX will face is here. The difference in those scenarios that they've had in the past is this is really gonna put to a test. you you look at there's always in these seasons one pivot point, right? And that was post thanksgiving, Pete Carroll coming in and saying that the CX need to get the ball out quicker. And I think there's been a little bit more inclusion of Jackson Smith and Jigba in the lineup. I still feel like they haven't even half figured out. Like, they've unlocked I, JSN they, completely. They've figured out a fair bit. I mean,
1: he does lead the team in third down targets. And, like, lately those, those have incredible. been good targets.
0: Yes. They'll have both of the running backs back. They've really been able to engage DK, hit Tyler Locken in those intermediate routes. Like, if they can hold up the pass rush, or the pass blocking, and stop that pass rush... I think this team is going to be able to get the ball out, but this might be like new P.K.L. rules, get the ball out fast, closer to the Cowboys game. Yeah, I mean, look, if they have that kind of success, it'll be thrilling. Uh, I mean, definitely, that'll be thrilling. But like, you know, you look at them defensively, where are the Cowboys ranked now? Even despite everything, they're still a, they're six and seven. And the way that the Seahawks played in that game, I think, is very, very encouraging. Mm-hmm. They still ultimately played fairly well against the number one-ranked Browns defense. Like, they've just played all of the best defenses, basically. That is this accurate. isn't going to be anything completely new to them. And on the flip side, the offense is not... You know, like, the the Cleveland team that they beat a few weeks ago, or whatever, like, they're a better team than the Steelers team, and they're coming in, and they're playing another game at home. So... When you have a makeup that is ultimately pretty similar, they could have lost that Browns game. But I think the offense is even a little bit better than they were then. I think the defense has maybe found a wrinkle here. Like, overall, I feel genuinely positive about this game. Especially if they can limit those big plays, force the Steelers to dink and dunk, make Mason Rudolph. You know, you look at those stats and like, Overall, when you see it, you're like, "Oh, Mason Rudolph played pretty well." But you want those Allen Robinson four for 36 yards, Jalen Warren five for 30, Deontay Jans- Johnson two for 15, Darnell Washington one for eight, Miles Boykin one for six. That is what you want in this game. And if you can limit the George Pickens huge plays, then it's going to be a
1: comfortable. It's going to be a comfortable game for the defense. I hate to express positivity about the Seahawks defense because I think it is very bad. Uh huh. I'm on the record here. I've been clear.
0: I, I've been on the record of saying there's a good defense in there somewhere.
1: You have. I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers are the team to take advantage of that defense. I think this is almost an ideal scenario for the Seahawks defense. Especially the way that they play defense. Like, I feel that way so strongly. I I have actually considered picking up the Seahawks defense and playing them in the fantasy football championship game this weekend.
0: And And just need a little bit of opportunistic play as well. You know, like... They need the pass rush and they need the turnovers on top of that. But they've had that those last couple of weeks. And I feel like they've kind of settled in as we get to the nearing the end of the season. I feel like the Seahawks have been a lot of different things throughout this year. And in the end, they have been precisely who we thought they were. <laughs> They are are a pretty good offense, maybe not quite top 10. They're a pretty good offense and a below-average defense, and that's who the team is. But also, they're playing a Steelers team that is punching above their weight at 8-7 and and is uniquely suited to not be particularly great against this Seahawks defense. So if they were ever to win a a game by more than one score, (laughs) I think it may
1: be this week. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to say that they will win by more than one score— I am optimistic that they may not need a comeback in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter to win this game. It's all we can ask for. It's it's asking a lot lately. Percentage chances of victory?
0: seventy eight percent.
1: Wow. I'm at seventy percent. I'm not that optimistic. They right.
0: just the Steelers are an eight and seven team who just really never seem good.
1: I've got some bad news for you about the 2023 Seattle Seahawks.
0: About an 8-17. But the Seahawks seem
1: good sometimes. They do seem good sometimes. What are their point differentials relative to the Steelers?
0: Oh, I'm sure the Steelers are better.
1: Uh, The Steelers are not. They're minus 34. Really?
0: Wow. This team beat the Ravens. Can I also just have a DVOA complaint for a second?
1: I, I suppose so maybe for a second, because we do need to talk about the college football playoff
0: game, all time great the, the 30 to 13 against the Colts did not help. And they lost to the fucking Patriots at home.
1: I'm aware. I've done the notes.
0: Maybe if you have teams that are just like constantly going back and forth as one and two and calling them all time greats or whatever, maybe DVOA is not quite right right now.
1: Or like maybe there are two all-time great
0: teams this year. I There are two all-time great teams who happen to have lost to the Vikings. Like I I'm just highly skeptical that the eleven and four nine it's a good record, but like we are talking all-time great. All time great. And it's just like they're, they're not even number one in DVOA anymore, the Niners. And I just like even like eye test wise, they seem they both seem very, very good. But I don't feel like either the Ravens or the Niners are in historical levels, like up there with the eighty-five Bears. Like
1: all of the other teams really around them watch are teams. Them play against the Seahawks.
0: I mean, like both of those teams crush the Seahawks. But I've also watched them play against other teams, and they're all in the conversation with like the undefeated Patriots, and the 85 Bears. Like, they are in conversation with these teams that are the best teams of all time. And I I don't...
1: isn't there point differential in those conversations as well?
0: Maybe there's something about the rest. I mean, the Ravens are crushing really good teams.
1: I mean, there there are many teams with good point differentials this year because the Cowboys and Dolphins are not that far behind these two teams. But... There could
0: be something about their outscoring opponents by
1: over ten points per game. I don't know. I, I. Do you
0: think that the Cowboys are a historically great team?
1: I don't think their schedule strength has been as good, which is why their DVOA isn't nearly as good. That's the point. There you, are a lot of just, plus just hundreds
0: a, DVOA or you, point differentials.
1: You just justified DVOA. So, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, because it's not uncommon to beat teams by 200 points in a season to have a plus 200 differential. It happened as recently as 2019 Baltimore Ravens. There you go.
0: Who's plus 200, though? Nobody's plus 200.
1: Yes, is what I'm saying. They're not it's even really for context.
0: Close. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, All right, I'm we just, don't have time to talk about this. I'm a
1: little skeptical. Can we just talk about the Sugar Bowl? All right. Here we are. At long last, we have been waiting since the day after the Pac-12, or two days after the Pac-12 championship game, since we found out the Huskies would be headed to the Sugar Bowl to, for a second consecutive year in a bowl game, take on their former coach, Steve Sarkisian, in the Texas Longhorns, with a spot in the college football playoff final on the line. Bonkers. Let's go. I just
0: can't freaking wait for this game. It has been such a long wait since we have... Known that we were going to be playing Texas, the number two spot in the college football playoff. A chance for the championship game on the line. And for the first time, I think, in my lifetime as a Husky fan, this is the biggest game since 1991 that the Huskies have played.
1: This is basically the you, biggest uh, game. As a reminder, you were alive in 1991. This is the biggest game that I remember
0: on record. And this is not just participating in the college football playoff this is participating in the college football playoff
1: this is not uh, jokey bring on bama signs
0: this is i we're going into this The fpi can say what it is like and we'll do our win probability after at the very end but like
1: the, the, the market can also say what it wants
0: i i think that there is there is a very good chance of the huskies beating this texas team and I, I think there is a very realistic possibility that we are talking about a national championship game, which is an unheard of thing for us as the University of Washington. It's also a bit of an unheard of thing for the University of Texas as well. So this is such well, a huge match. Unheard of
1: for Texas. It's
0: been a minute. But the the stakes of this particular game, having it be a rematch from a year ago, having it be against Steve Sarkeesian, I I just can't freaking wait for this one and. Can you tell me, what is the difference between this Texas team and the Texas team that we played a year ago?
1: I I was going to get to that. Let's start with how Texas got here. Okay. So this is their first college football playoff appearance. The Huskies have the advantage. That's what I'm saying.
0: It's unheard of. Like, it has been a long time.
1: They've played in just one New Year's Six game since losing the 2009 BCS championship. Just one New Year's Six game? Yeah. What the fuck y'all been doing? A lot of Alabama balls. So many Alabama balls. So many Texas balls. Uh, that coming in the 2018 Sugar Bowl under Tom Herman. Uh, this is the third year for Sark making his first New Year's Six appearance as a head coach. Uh, their big win was 34-24 at Alabama in week two. They held Jalen Milro to 14 of 27 passing in that game, picked him off twice. Well, Quinn Ewers was fabulous going 24 of 38 for 349 yards and three touchdowns. Their load loss came in the Red River rivalry, 34-32 Oklahoma game. They led most of the way, I think. Yes. But uh, then they won their final seven games, including a blowout of Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve Championship, to earn their way here. They are seventh in ESPN's FPI, fifth in efficiency which amazingly is second best among teams in the playoff because Oregon, Ohio State, and Georgia, all ahead of them, all missed out.
0: And and I, I really look at the season that Texas had, and it was a good but not great season. They have probably the best win of almost any team around the country, maybe maybe Michigan against Ohio State. Those are probably the two best wins. But the Huskers have yeah. done it twice, collectively beating a team that, FBI. where does Oregon rank? Second. Second in FBI. I mean that literally statistically it's the best win of the year.
1: I don't know if it actually is statistically the best win of the year because they didn't win at Oregon. They beat them at home in a neutral site.
0: I guess the Bama the Texas win was
1: in in Alabama.
0: Okay, that's a pretty big win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but Michigan having it's, Ohio State at home. It's, you it's, it's it, the
1: best team that anyone has beaten all year, according to FBI efficiency, is Oregon and the Huskies did it twice. Did it to them twice.
0: And didn't do it fluky either time. So that's when I look at this game, and I think that the way that people are approaching Washington is they're putting way more emphasis on the games against Arizona State, right? The ones, the games against Wazoo. They're not putting the emphasis on beating Oregon two times. They're not having, putting an
1: emphasis on the games played indoors.
0: Have and also. Indoors on neutral weather, like this Husky team has been damn near perfect in those situations. And granted, Texas is a very good team, but like UW's already seen this shit. And I will posit that looking at the road to being there, the history of being there, the team that's just happy to be there is coming in from Texas.
1: I don't think either team is just happy to be here. But, but they
0: are, they were the ones we clinched that spot on Friday night. We we won that game and booked a ticket to the college football playoff. Had an argument to be the number one seed. Texas got in through the back door. Texas needed help to get there. Texas won that game against Oklahoma State comfortably. Very nice win, I suppose. I think, but like,
1: I think technically we were the help they needed. As long as they won, I think they felt pretty good that they were going to be there. But Alabama beating Georgia made them rest a little easier this
0: is the team that has not been to bowls like this. Like in that time period that you're talking about, sit in there one time playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, I don't the know how much- have done it a ton.
1: I don't know how much it really matters. Like there are, I guess some players on the roster who are sixth year seniors who were part of the 2019- no, but that was the, the 2018 Rose Bowl. Yeah.
0: It's about the overall culture and the overall perspective. And granted, I did mean, Kalen DeBoer's new, but like, this is a program that has been there over and over and over again. Probably disrespected overall, considering how many times they've played in
1: these games. It's amazing how many teams manage to have been disrespected when you talk well, to their fans.
0: Let me tell you who's been disrespected twice. And now a third time, they actually weren't the first time against Oregon, I think, has been disrespected once. And now a second time, the credit that is not given to the Huskies for those victories and the line going into this game. Because ultimately, this this is the Huskies. They are the home team in this game. They are the number two seed. And when I look at these teams, I look at their resume. I see another team that struggled a lot throughout Big 12 season with just as bad opponents.
1: Well, it turns out that when that happened, including their 33-30 win over, I believe that was Kansas State, Quinn Ewers was injured. No, that was like the most notable win. Kansas was good. What are you talking about? Kansas was good. I don't know. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I mean. But they struggled with a number of teams along the way. This wasn't the Oregon domination throughout the season.
1: I agree with that assessment, yes. That Texas had some close calls during the It was the TCU.
0: I, Kansas State in overtime. TCU by three points. Iowa State by 10. Like, I just... They beat Alabama, and that's it. They crushed Kansas, yeah. Like, this is not an impressive resume, whereas UW got through. Again,
1: A, FBI th- efficiency measures... Well, how FBI, well you played FBI against the opponents. And it says that Texas is a dramatically better team than they UW. Measured not just shit. a little bit. A dramatically better team. They measured it in the same way
0: before UW played Oregon. And UW outplayed or Oregon UW in that game. UW beating Oregon
1: in a single game. Twice. Not a, not a single game. Two games. UW was favored before the first Oregon game, weren't they? I think so. Maybe. I'm not
0: sure. Or it was like a pickup. Ewers was not injured when they played at TCU and one by three. Was not injured when they played at Iowa State and one by ten. Like I, there's also not weather to blame for these games.
1: He was coming back from an injury. Fair enough. When they played TCU, Michael Penix Jr.
0: was injured a ton. Roma Dunze beat Oregon when he had a punctured lung. Like Michael Penix Jr.
1: was ill a ton. He we was ill. No any any injuries. At Just time. ill. <laughs> <laughs> TBD on that. One.
0: I I'm just telling you, like, when I when I look at this game, I go into it with so much confidence, at the very that's least.
1: The wrong approach to go take to any game. I this other is than maybe not like this
0: is not like playing against Alabama.
1: I am I am I agree. It's not like playing against Alabama. They're not thirteen and a half point favorites. They're the underdogs. They're four and a half point underdogs. But they also that's appropriate. That is the this right Texas way. team. How they did many, not beat this Texas how team. Many, all
0: right, tell me how they didn't beat this Texas team. Because the way I look at it, the way I remember it, they beat this Texas team. Yeah, as it turns
1: out, rosters change in college football from not year that to much. year. Fun fact. So their offensive FPI efficiency is very similar to last year. They only improved from 18th to 16th. But they have jumped from 23rd to 7th on de- in defense this season. They're allowing just 2.9 yards per carry on ground, 5th lowest In FBS, and unsurprisingly, given what we remember about the Huskies defenses that involved Pete Kwiatkowski as defensive coordinator, their defense bears a lot of similarity to that. They're willing to allow completions. It's actually very similar to the current Huskies defense, too. Both teams are allowing a completion percentage around 60%, which is middle of the pack, but very few big plays. They're allowing 11.3 yards per completion, a little more than UW's 11.0. And right in the center of it, this defense, defensive tackle Devondre Sweat, who won the Outland Trophy as the best defensive lineman in the country. Lineman backer Jalen Ford also jumps out statistically. He had just one sack this year, but 10 and tackles for loss. So that is an immense number of run tackles for loss, similar to last year when he had 10 and two sacks. And the other thing that stands out statistically, again, Quinn Ewers missed those couple of games. They were not as good offensively in those games. He's taken a strong step forward in his sophomore season, second year as a starting quarterback, uh, holding off Arch Manning, who was their number three quarterback throughout the season. His completion percentage up from 58% to 71%. Yards per attempt up from 7.4 to 9.0, touchdowns up from 19 to 21, and QBR up from 66 to 78. Like last year, this was a team that rode Bijan Robinson. Yes. Oddly, their pass rate is not actually any higher than last season. But this year, it's Quinn Yours who's winning them games, not their running game. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Brooks took over as their starting running back after getting six carries in the Alamo Bowl to eight for veteran Keelan Robinson, who has just 12 all season. He's also their kick returner. Uh, Brooks averaged 6.1 yards per carry with 10 touchdowns, but suffered an ACL tear against TCU. Since then, freshman C.J. Baxter has led a running back committee, but the running game has remained strong. Uh, Texas's leading receiver still Xavier Worthy, 73 catches for 969 yards this season. He also returns punts. Worthy well, left the Big 12 championship game with an ankle injury, but was back in practice last week. So seems like he should be fine for the game. He's got just five receiving touchdowns. while big play threat Adonai Mitchell <laughs> has ten. Both Mitchell and Jatavian Sanders averaging more than 15 yards per reception. The other player to watch for Texas, because mm-hmm. you're you're always going to notice him mm-hmm. with the hair flowing out of his helmet. It's kicker Burt Auburn was 28 of 34, and field goals had made 19 in a row before missing in the Big 12 championship game. That's one key place where Texas has an advantage over Oregon.
0: Okay. I mean, honestly, that's kind of a huge deal. I mean, it literally <laughs> was the difference in the first game. If you, if you had Oregon in a close game, you just felt like they either weren't going to kick or they were going to kick and it was going to turn out badly. Right. But But also, just decision-making-wise... Steve Sarkisian does not have that same mentality. And that, to me, is always the scariest thing about playing Oregon those multiple times, was if you got to a fourth and two or whatever, they were going to be going for it. They were going to be maximizing their win possibility at basically every single chance. And that is something that I don't think we've seen as much history of Steve Sarkisian doing, playing in those types of
1: games. Well, specifically, if you look back at the Red River game against Oklahoma. I, I told you in the moment. He kicked a field goal. We were on the phone. Yeah. Yes, this was happening.
0: So yeah. I, I just, I think it is almost underrated. This is one of those things where you compliment your opponents after you beat them. It's almost oh, yeah. underrated just how good and how difficult of a team Oregon is to beat. And we saw that with them coming back those times. But also they didn't even really play close games outside of the games against UW. So it, it's difficult for me to to see this season with those two signature wins with that win against Texas last year I mean
1: it's certainly possible that the Huskies just might match up really well against Oregon no I how I, is
0: that possible they're the only team on the face of the earth that matches up well against Oregon
1: well they're not the only team on the face of the earth because it turns out Oregon didn't play Texas didn't play Alabama didn't play Michigan didn't play Ohio State, sure. didn't play Georgia they they did play who did they play Texas tech Texas and that, tech, sure that them actually matched a up heck of well. a, a game uh, so I don't think that you can necessarily draw that conclusion. Now, if I want to be optimistic about Paskies, okay. number one.
0: They beat, oh, Texas, beat Texas Tech 57-7. to 7.
1: Yes. And they ran for like 300 yards without their starting running back in that game. Michael Penix Jr., they built him the dome for these ones. Yep. He's never going to have to go outside I love that I you can. said it once. You said it in the plural. Number two. Mm-hmm. I do think the defense is the healthiest it's been all season. Absolutely. And I think that's—well, in well, not the healthiest it's been all season, because Davon Banks is not coming back from his injury. But with, with the
0: safeties back, with yes. Cam Favikilon and, and Asa Turner back.
1: And we saw what a difference that made against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Pretty huge
0: deal. The receiving core is very healthy. I mean, everybody's going to be healthy. That's, that's the thing. Xavier Worthy is probably—
1: <laughs> Well, fun fact. Texas went for way more third, fourth downs this year than Oregon. Wait, really? Well, they probably yeah. had
0: to face way more. Probably.
1: I mean, I haven't looked at like the scenarios, but they attempted 30 this year. Oregon was 17 of 23. Texas was 19 of 30.
0: It's also worse. I, I, I do not buy that neutral aggressiveness that Texas was more aggressive
1: than Oregon. I mean, that may also be a case of just hey, Dan Lanning realized when he was going against a real team.
0: Uh, but also the, their offense just was better, right? Weren't they statistically, like, yes. the best off? Like, they just weren't facing those situations as much. So, I mean, that that's a, a thing for me.
1: The Huskies, scaredy cats, Galen DeVore, mm-hmm. 15 fourth down attempts all season.
0: Wow. It's actually kind of surprising. But also, I didn't feel like we were being overly conservative at any point. No. Just when your offense is good, I feel like sometimes you go for less fourth downs. Um, any, anyway... I, I just look at this game overall, and we've said this over and over and over again. If there's a healthy Roma Dunze, a healthy Michael Penix Jr. By the way,
1: Christian Capel had the story on The Athletic about Roma Dunze suffering a pneumothorax, the same injury that sidelined CJ McCollum for several weeks this year he did previously when was with the sideline Blazers. Sidelined Roma
0: Dunze for zero weeks this year.
1: Well, it signed him one week, but it was the mm-hmm. bye. And he came back in time for the Oregon game after having to drive back from Tempe with all oh, the medical staff. stuff. So, Rome is a,
0: God, he's such a beast. Yeah. I can't wait for Roma Dunze to be playing in the NFL. Uh, I, I can wait two games Two for weeks. Two weeks for Roma Dunze to be playing in the NFL. But it's just really hard for me to imagine this Texas defense, though improved, not giving up a good chunk of points to this. And I feel like it almost always comes down to, is this UW defense, what are they going to look like? Are they going to be that opportunistic, timely defense that we saw all year? Or are they going to get picked apart? And if that happens, then all of a sudden it's dangerous. Because Texas is going to get a handful of stops. But if UW is moving the ball the way that we know they can move the ball, it's they're an extraordinarily difficult team to beat. And again, when you look at, at the units or whatever, like UW's offense is better than Texas's offense. Texas's defense is better than U-Dub's defense, probably by a bigger margin. But ultimately, having the better offense usually
1: is the better thing. But Quinn Ubers got sacked a lot. I guess also also their backup quarterbacks, but they, they were sacked 32 times this year.
0: I am a little bit skeptical of... And, and also, even just getting through the schedule and the week-to-week of it, the Pac-12 is a better conference than the Big 12 is. Like, the... They've faced Alabama, and they had that monster win against Alabama. But just week in, week out, UW has faced weather, and they've faced some very, very good teams. They've faced some better offenses, and they've faced some better defenses. So it just I look at this game, and same as every single week throughout the season, on a neutral setting with everybody back and healthy, can Texas stop the Husky offense? And can they do it consistently? Or can the Huskies end up being up by 18 points in this game? Or something like that. Well, let's all remain calm. Can they end up getting up by a couple of touchdowns? I think it's going to be tense. I think it's going to be uh, exciting. But like, at the end of the day, I think that the Husky offense can propel them with a couple of stops on the defensive side. Can propel them to a large enough win that they can withstand any sort of comeback from Texas as they're being more aggressive, as they're passing more, as they're looking for those plays down the field
1: percentage chances of victory
0: i think it's better than 50 percent. they're going to be the road team fans wise because that travel from texas to and and also the the travel from texas to new orleans is different but also like there are there are just a lot of fucking fans in texas yeah and they've wanted this for longer that's kind of what i'm saying is this game to the fans, yes. like they were going to travel to this. They haven't been to the playoff before. There've been a couple of there have been a couple of bites of the apple. There have been there have been cultural playoff appearances and a number of New Year's Six games in the last decade for the Huskies. So people have done their traveling a little bit more for Texas. This is it. This is the game. But at the same time, I actually think that's a bit of a, a disadvantage, just program wise overall. I do feel like the Huskies. They just Kalen bore acts like he's been there, and if you talk, he has. if you talk about, I'm kind of. <laughs> when is he
1: in the FCS? In the yeah, NIA, <laughs> yeah. actually, but but can, championships are championships, and can, like like we've seen that repeatedly. Like that that experience translated.
0: And if you look at it coaching wise, just apples to apples, like. Kalen DeBoer, we've seen Kalen DeBoer and we've seen Sar- Steve Sarkisian. I think it's a different Sark than it was when we saw him, but he wasn't the dude I that mean, you were like, oh, we've got Sark on the sideline in this big game. We feel great. Do you know what I mean? And Kalen DeBoer, over and over, Kalen DeBoer I mean, Sark has never has lost.
1: Now won bigger games because the Alabama game was by far, I mean, even I last year's Alabama game. I do not agree with
0: that. The, he has not won bigger games. He has not won a Pac 12 championship with the season on the line. Literally, that's it. it. Is the playoff on the line? He beat Oklahoma I mean, State. The playoff was
1: on the line, but the the Alabama game going into Alabama, the that's a, that's a bigger win than most congrats, college coaches.
0: Congrats that, to Steve Sarkeesian on win.
1: Having their how many court, fucking they beat Alabama out. last year too? Didn't they? Did <laughs> I hallucinate that? I thought that was pretty excited.
0: Okay, he maybe he just matches up well with Alabama, <laughs> Coach Sark. And also, or uh, may I remind you? He was a coach at Alabama. If there was anybody who was going to match up with them, it might be. I agree with that, Sarkeesian. but my
1: point is, like, it's the, the moment is not going to be too big for Steve Sarkisian, well not again also the was an is going to be for too Alabama too big for him in multiple college He just
0: hasn't proved that he's capable of doing it. Beating Alabama well, no one in proves that they're, they're capable of doing is things not until the they Same as doing it in the Pac-12 championship. I'm sorry.
1: The thing about the fan advantage is, well, guess where there was a really big fan advantage.
0: In San Francisco on Christmas Day or in Alabama? Yeah.
1: yeah. No, last year, I was saying oh, last yeah. year at the Alamo Bowl, when they Texas. played in San Antonio, the Huskies plant. And it was not as exciting, again, for Husky fans as it was for Texas fans. And it didn't matter. Like, no. I don't think that's going to ultimately affect the game, either. way. In any bowl
0: I, game, the amount of fans are not going to make enough noise for it to actually impact the game that much.
1: I don't know if I'd say any bowl game, but I think it's a very high bar. I think Texas is the better team. I think it's closer than, a little closer than the market thinks. I'm at like 45%. I'm at 55%.
0: I will see you in Houston.
1: (laughs) I don't know why you would jinx things like this. It's not that I'm jinxing it. it.
0: It's just that I'm so confident about it.
1: Yeah, that's the definition of a jinx.
0: (laughs) This is Oregon fans heading into the game.
1: (laughs) They literally had their tickets booked
0: for the Rose Bowl. But... (sighs) I know it's going to be. I know it's going to be a good and close game. But I, we've just seen it over and over and over again from the Susky team. They've lost two games in the last two years.
1: Like just because they haven't lost games in the past doesn't mean they can lose can't lose games in the future. The Patriots hadn't lost any of the games and they lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. Like well
0: I mean, I if they win this game, I'm not going to be as confident in the next one. They also lucked out on the draw. If we're being honest here. If you tell me either of the teams that are playing on the other side, that UW is playing them, I am way more scared of those two teams than I am of Texas.
1: Of course. So,
0: there's a little bit of like... I th- but I again,
1: Texas has been better by FPI efficiency this year than Alabama.
0: Sometimes, FPI
1: efficiency is not They did not win the at thing. Alabama.
0: <laughs> Alabama, if these two teams play each other again, Alabama, A, by, by betting markets, is going to be like a seven-point favorite. I do not think
1: that they would be a seven-point favorite on a neutral field. I mean, yes, there are playing. different versions
0: of the Alabama that they played in September is not the same album. They beat fucking Georgia. Who's number one in FBI efficiency? Is it Georgia? No, it's Michigan. It's Michigan. Yeah. Like, I don't. I think that Alabama win is a, not as impressive as you're giving it credit for. They're beating a quarterback in his second ever game, his first ever big game.
1: Georgia was fourth in FBI efficiency, one spot ahead of Texas, and Alabama beat them. Yeah, like I don't. But again, I, I mean that single game just can't tell you that much about how good. Well,
0: you're it. taking a lot from this game against no, Alabama because
1: I'm taking a lot from the fact that their entire FBI efficiency is higher, including the win over Alabama. They have both data points. I, you don't need to argue to me which data point is more important because they win both of them. Great. Texas is good and you need to put some respect on the name and you're actively jinxing the Huskies. Every time you open I'm, your mouth right now. I'm not jinxing the Huskies. The come up you are des- or you are asking for right now is so immense. You are asking for... <laughs> you know. wait, wait till the bold predictions. Oh no. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm just excited to watch this team play again, though, because I feel like we've missed them for the last month. And that's the thing that's been the the most just it's it. December's been fun. The Seahawks have been up and down or whatever. But like watching this Husky team, the fervor for the Huskies. I went to the UW bookstore earlier this week and it was fucking packed. Like people are in on the Huskies. I mean, right not to now. preview
1: the year in review podcast, which is coming later this week, but. The Huskies were the story of 2023. I didn't expect the the Seahawks to be relegated to, you know, not the not the hammer on the podcast status. They lost
0: it a lot, actually. <laughs> I think they lost it to the Mariners. They they
1: did <laughs> well. That was during the Seahawks off mostly, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's not the same, but
0: uh, I'm just ex- excited to watch this team play again. I'm excited. It's a matchup against Texas because I just think it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch. I I would be. If they were playing Michigan, I would be all nerves. But if I, they are playing Alabama, I would feel the same way. Then playing Texas, I'm just like, it's going to be a close and fun game, and I feel like there's a good chance. All right. On that note, hopefully we're back with a New Year's Day emergency podcast. Fingers crossed. Thanks for listening. Thanks.